Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamps, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 317 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined, as ever, by former heavyweight world title challenger, Fast Eddie Chambers. <laughs> How you doing, Eddie? I'm good, my man. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing good, my friend. Always good when speaking with you. Let's dive. Buffer. Yeah, my, Joe Buffer. Yeah. Well, we listen. He's on the. Remember, he's on the out. Uh, the the intro every week. You know, at the very beginning. Oh, shit, for real? Yeah. <laughs> have, have you never listened to the show? No, I've no. I've listened. I just never. I don't know. I don't know. I just don't. I don't know. Intro. I'm thinking of. Yeah, on the um, intro, not... it starts the very beginning of the podcast. You know, he says, "Hi, I'm Michael Buffer, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast." Then the, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, then he said, "Yeah, my bad." Yeah, then the intro rolls in, and obviously you've got um, cool. Off the top of my head, I can't even remember who uh, who speaks on the intro. I think it's Mikey Garcia. Uh, used to be Malik Scott. He's not on there anymore. You got Regis Progray, Michael Hunter, you. And yeah. Charlie Edwards, I believe. So um, I got you got me on there, so you must be really, really desperate for some people. Don't be silly. <laughs> Everyone that's on the that's on the intro are, are good friends. Um, yeah, no let's dive straight into the review part of the show. Going to start here. Last Friday, November the fifth, at the Ulster Hall in Belfast, Northern Ireland, over here. Um, Sean McComb with a win now 13 and 1 a points win over 8 against Ronnie Clark 21 and 6 now with 2 draws Ronnie Clark seems like his best days are well and truly behind him he was obviously out the ring for a long time I remember at one point he was down you know uh, on, on money and stuff at one point he was trying to sell his belts on eBay to pay for Christmas presents for his kids very bad situation obviously he's back two bucks in now but that break where he was out the ring it's just taking it out of him and he doesn't seem the same guy you know his hair as well is not as good as it used to be he used to turn up with like uh, red cornrows and stuff, but no, it's all it's all it's all in the past now, and he doesn't seem to be the same fighter, unfortunately, because he was a fantastic fighter domestically. I mean, God, I was there when he beat Zelfa Barrett, took his O. He had hard fights with Martin J. Ward, stuff like that. He was a great fighter. Um, elsewhere on that card, Lewis Crocker now fourteen and O, a, a TKO in round seven against Artem Haroyan, now seventeen and three with a draw. Um, Pad Gregg or Pat, yeah, Padraig McCrory now 13-0, and a TKO in, in the second round again against um, Celso Neves, who's now 8-2 and two with a draw. Uh, that one for the WBC International Silver Super Middleweight title. Moving out now to the Virgin Hotels Las Vegas in Nevada, USA. Over here, this one was on Sky Sports. It was on ESPN+. Let's start with the undercard. Um, 
actually let's skip that not much really on the undercard the main event what an unbelievable fight friend of the show Michaela Mayer now 16-0 now the unified IBF and WBO female world super featherweight champion she dethroned Maver Hamadouche the um the former IBF champion until the other night. She's now 22-2 and two with 18 KOs. Still such a respectable record. What an unbelievable fight it was. I mean, I didn't think Michaela Mayer had it in her to fight in a phone booth for 10 two-minute rounds. It wasn't her style. She, she could not keep the very aggressive, strong... Um, French policewoman off of her at all, so she she didn't really have a choice. It was not the way she wanted to fight, but it wasn't up to her. She just could not keep Hamadouche off of her, and because of that, she had to sit to stand there and trade in the pocket the entire fight. The referee barely had to break him up. I believe they threw over a thousand punches. It was it was one of the best fights you will see all year, female and male boxing combined it's one of the probably well it is the best um female fight i've ever seen um a close one is katie taylor against delphine pursuit number one but this was unbelievable if you haven't seen it you know forget about the one minute between rounds if you haven't seen it go and watch this fight it's only going to take 20 minutes of your time i guarantee you you will not regret it unbelievable and and wow I'm, I, I've watched it twice. I've watched it twice. Michaela Mayer, friend of the show, over the moon for her. The scorecards were horrific. It has to be said, eight to two, nine to one, and ten to zero on the scorecards. No one had it that 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 wide. That was disgraceful to Hamadouche. But I have to say, what an unbelievable fight! I can't hype it up enough. You know, there's no way you can watch that fight and say women's boxing's boring or women's boxing's not as good as men's boxing. You won't see action like that in 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 ninety nine percent of male boxing fights. It was unbelievable. I'm so happy for Michaela Mayer, and I cannot wait for her to come over here and box Terry Harper, and I hope she wins that as well. By the way, I might annoy a few people saying that, but that is my honest opinion. I'm saying it on the podcast. Um, moving out now to the Hala Sportowa over here in Poland. Uh, Krzysztof Vladarczyk, former world champion, now 60-4 and four with, a, with a draw. He picked up win number 60, a TKO in round four against Maximiliano Gomez, who's now 29-6. and six, A horrific mismatch there. Uh, moving out now to the Echo Arena in Liverpool. This one was a, um ultimate boxer three-round tournament thing. Again, it is quite confusing in which order the fights happened, but um, I'm going to try my best here. I think Tom Farrell boxed Ben Fields in the first round, and Tom Farrell beat Ben Fields on a split decision over three. Then we saw Sean Mashadod take on Corey Gibbs, and I thought Sean Mashadod did enough to win. Everyone's a fan of Sean Mashadod. Um, he's had a tough lockdown. He said it. He was. He was. You know. He was crying in in the interview before the the little promo thing they did. You know. He lost his wife, his his kids, his house. I think his car during the the pandemic. It was really tough on him. He was back after about two years out the ring. Got in there with undefeated Corey Gibbs. Lost. I thought he did enough to win, especially in round two and round three. But no, 
he loses a split decision. Um, Lee Appleyard was able to beat Levi Kinsiona, I think his name is. Uh, that was on a split decision. So there's there's uh, three split decisions in 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 three of the first fights there. And Kane Gardner with a win over Nathan Bennett, unanimous. Then Kane Gardner went into the next round against Tom Farrell, and Tom Farrell won that one, a majority decision after Gardner was dropped in the third round. Um, so Tom Farrell went through to the final, and Lee Appleyard lost to Corey Gibbs. Corey Gibbs looked better than he did in the first fight of the three he ended up having. He beat Lee Appleyard quite clearly. Um, you know, he he you know he wasn't very good in the first one. It was like I say, I thought he lost to Sean Mashadod. He come out against Lee Appleyard. Could have been a tough fight, but he boxed really smart. And then the final between um, Tom Farrell and Corey Gibbs. Corey Gibbs was able to win a split decision there. So. Quite entertaining seeing the guys fight over three rounds. Only one undefeated fighter went into the tournament out of the eight fighters that entered it. And that same undefeated fighter emerged as the overall champion. He won the tournament. He's still undefeated. He's moved from 13-0 to 16-0 in one night. Good stuff there for Corey Gibbs. Moving out now to Birmingham at the Utilita Arena in West Midlands. Over here, a Frank Warren show topped by Zach Parker. We will be speaking to him later on. He's now 22-0 with 16 KOs. A TKO in round four against Marcus Morrison, who'd never been stopped. 24-5, his record now. Chris Eubank Jr. couldn't get him out of there. Zach Parker did it with brutal, brutal body shots in four rounds. He was down twice um, in the second round, uh, Morrison as well. It was for the WBO International Super Middleweight title. Zach Parker now mandatory for Canelo Alvarez. We will be speaking to him later on, like I say. Um, on the undercard, Nathan Heaney with a win now 14-0. A TKO in round 7 against Sladan Janjanin, who's now... 30 and 9. Um, Janjanin down in the third round and in the seventh round. Bit of a weird, weird one, really, because he was taking all these big shots and walking through them, smiling and all that, and then it all come crashing down very quickly. It was weird. Uh, Denzel Bentley returned with a big win, a TKO in round three against Sam Evans, who is now 10 and 2 with a draw. Denzel Bentley looking good again there. Um, 15 and 1 with a draw. Completely too good, really, for Sam Evans. It has to be said. You you, you pretty much knew that going in. Um, what else did we have on the card? Ryan Garner with a win against Pedro Gomez. Garner now 11-0. That one was on points over eight. Uh, yeah, that's about it there. Moving out now to the MGM Grand Garden Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada. I'm going to come to you in a second, Eddie. Ray Vargas with a win now, 35-0. and I'm still unsure of how he lost his WBC world title a couple of years ago. He was inactive. He lost the belt. He's still undefeated. One of the longest winning streaks out of all current fighters in the sport. Um, a 10-round unanimous decision over Leonardo Baez, who's now 21-5. and um, Anthony Durrell, I missed it, but I did see the finishing punch. What an uppercut. He moved to 34-2 with two draws. A fourth-round TKO over Marcos Hernandez. 15-5 with two draws. I'm going to come to you, Eddie. I hear you've unmuted yourself. You must have sort of fight. What an uppercut. Anthony Durrell, it was interesting. The first, the kid came to fight. He was not going to take it lying down, <laughs> you know. So <clears throat> when he came out, you could tell And Darrell, the first, like, what, 10 or 15 seconds of the fight, he came out and just threw a barrage of big shots. 
And I think the way that Darrell was thinking, he was thinking, oh, I'm going to walk in here, wipe this guy out and go around. But the kid came back, and he just kept fighting. And it was looking like he was going to make it a tough night. Darrell was actually like, I think he, I think I gave him the second round, to be honest, the other guy. And the first round, Darrell got it just, you know, or, you know, off of sheer ability and what he was able to do. But second round, I think the other kid got it. And it looked like he was going to make it a tough night. Like, he, Darrell was winning, and he, he even in the third, well, I don't know if it was a third, it was a third round or fourth round stop. I can't remember. Fourth round, sure. fourth round. Fourth round, right. Because he came out again in the third and was giving him a little bit of work. That's what I was thinking. And it was like, damn, you know, it was, it was a little bit of a struggle for him to kind of like, you know, to be dominant. Because you would expect Anthony Darrell, being who he is and how he fights and his ability and all, with a guy who's 15 and four, even if he'd been in there with a couple of tough guys, he just, he shouldn't sack up. But he came to fight. But then <laughs> in the fourth round, he threw a, la- I don't want to say, a, a kind of somewhat a, la- a lazy jab. He went right under it and literally winded up the uppercut. He did the bolo and ripped it. And if you watch it and you, you can hear the sound, that was a hell of a shot. Like, I'm surprised he didn't shatter stuff in his head with when he hit him with that shot. It was a crazy shot. Like, I was one of, that was one of the nastiest shots you'll see. You know what I mean? Uh, and, and perfectly timed, too. So, And after he hit him with something like that in the, in the uh, I forget what round, it might have been the second round, or maybe even in the first, but it didn't have the effect. It didn't land as clean. But, man, did that one land. It was a hell of a shot. Hell of a shot. Trust me. Yeah, I mean, I've only seen the replay of that fight. I didn't watch it in its entirety at all. Um, but I want to say, and it was only, I've only seen the clip maybe once or twice. I didn't really study it like you did. But the way he got caught, the way he went down, reminded me a little bit of, I want to say, um, was it um, the way that J-Rock got knocked out by one of the Charlos? Similar way, similar punch. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Some, yeah, that was it was it almost the exact punch in a very similar situation. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, yeah maybe yeah. I think I think I think Julian threw a right hand though. This guy threw a jab, but it was very similar in how it, you know like it, it went. And the kid, you could see when he threw the jab, he was bracing for a shot, a different shot, because he went down into it, and you could see him kind of like curl a little bit like you know you like seeing bracing and the shot came from an angle that he didn't expect and it was boom party perfect that was yeah. a wow that was a hell of a time that was yeah. a hell of a setup too yeah i mean a, a counter punch uppercut one punch knockout is one of the sexiest things in boxing in my opinion oh, yeah. i mean god almighty um when when one executed when executed perfectly it is it is really really special um yeah he straight away i don't know if you've seen his quotes after the fight um anthony Darrell saying he wants to fight canelo next or he's going to retire i don't think anyone uh wants to see that fight all respect to anthony Darrell, been on the show but no i mean god almighty i don't want to see canelo in with him um 
Elsewhere on the card, we had the Battle of the Jose's. We had Jose Gomez lose. He was undefeated as well, 12-0. He lost a unanimous decision over eight to Jose Meza, who's now 8-6. and six. That was an upset there. Uh, Elvis Rodriguez with a win as well. Not sure if it was an upset, but he was able to knock out in five rounds Juan Romero, who was undefeated, 14-0. Elvis Rodriguez, though, now... 12 and 1 with a draw. Rancis Barfelemi now 29 and 1 with a draw. A TKO in round 2 against Gustavo Vittori, who I think was quite badly overmatched. Uh, he did well to knock him out early. I know Vittori had been knocked out in a few of his losses, but to get him out early like that, Barfelemi, not really known as a puncher, but it just goes to show how overmatched I think um, Vittori was. And the main event, Canelo Plant. Canelo now 57-1 with two draws. It was his 60th fight as a pro. Um, a TKO in round 11 against Caleb Plant, who loses his O, now 21-1. He loses, of course, his IBF World Super Middleweight title. He's now undisputed, Mr. Canelo. It's just crazy to think. He started his, his pro career so young. I think he was about 15 when he turned over. And he's here having his 60th fight, and he appears to be you know, at his best. I mean, it's weird to see a guy 60 fights into a pro career looking their absolute best. But then again, I guess he probably didn't have that long amateur career that we see a lot of US guys, for example, having 200 fights before they turn pro. It probably burns out of them a little bit, means they can't go on to have that many pro fights. And if they did have that many pro fights, uh, they wouldn't look as good as he does in his 60th pro fight. That might have been confusing. But anyways, just going to run through what I felt or thought about the fight really quickly, um, and then I'll, I'll come to you, Eddie. Round one, good round for Caleb Plant. He didn't freeze. I was happy to see that. He, he you know, he was. I don't think he let the occasion get to him. I didn't think he ever would, to be honest. But some people do. I think Callum Smith did. Um, nice jabs. I liked the way he was working the jab. I felt that Canelo kind of gave away the round. I don't think he cared too much, but he didn't do anything. Um, but what I will say, whenever whenever Canelo faints, like. All fighters fall for almost every feint that he that he tries. I mean, the physical presence is scary for everyone he fights. As soon as he, he does a big feint, and guys just like whoa, out the way of nothing. Um, round two, I gave to Canelo. Round three, I gave to Caleb Plant. So again, I've got that two one to Caleb after three. Some people already disagreeing with that scorecard, but I'll, I'll carry on. Um, we saw a tiny cut open in the kind of same place as the face-off sunglasses incident uh, for Caleb Plant. So I saw a little tiny cut, but they dealt with it, thankfully. Uh, it was a really close round, but I just like what Caleb was doing. He was making Canelo miss a lot of shots, which looked really weird and unusual to see Can Canelo miss like that. Um, again, he was landing his jab a lot, Caleb Plant, and any time Canelo landed a nice shot, Caleb would land one himself straight away. Round four, really, really close round. Again, Caleb was taking a lot on the gloves and arms, I felt. Nothing really hitting him clean around the head. He was staying in the pocket with Canelo and looking all right, if I'm being honest. Um, again, a little bit generous. I felt like I could have given that round to Plant. I felt he needed to let the right hand go a little bit more, though, not just rely on that left hand, but still, a beautiful jab he was popping out there in the fourth round. Could have been a 10-10, to be honest. I think I ended up giving that a 10-10. Uh, round five, I gave to Plant as well. Canelo didn't land anything clean the entire round. Caleb Plant was even doing the shoulder roll. I was wondering if he'd been watching that Floyd fight from years ago. His defense was unbreakable at times. Uh, Canelo was really, you know, 
uh, I wouldn't say struggling with landing a punch, but struggling with getting inside that guard. He was just throwing shots, um, you know, at what was available, the arms and stuff like that. Um, I liked it from Caleb Plant. Round six, Canelo really started to up the pressure. It was like a switch, and he started to put hands on Plant a lot more. Canelo also was showing some lovely head movement himself. It was, for me, Canelo's best round at that point. Uh, round seven, I felt Canelo was just getting the better of it. You know, uh, Plant wasn't unraveling, but Canelo seemed to have another gear that I wasn't sure Plant was able to match. I had it completely tied up after seven rounds. I think three apiece with one round tied. Round eight, I gave to Canelo. Caleb was still having moments, but only really throwing singular shots. Uh, round nine, I did give to Plant. He landed some beautiful shots, some head snapping jabs, a few straight right hands that were working. So again, I'm tied up in round nine. Round 10, I gave to Canelo. Round 11, um, that's where it all came crashing down. A long left hook. A long left hook on the chin of Plant, right on the button. Down he went. His legs were all over the place. And when he got back up, he actually, I think, accidentally ran from one side of the ring to the other. Uh, it was like an injured, an injured animal or something. Like after a tiger had bit one of his legs, and he just, you know, ran from one. Uh, part of uh, you know the grass to another part he ran from one part of the ring to another part um he looked he looked like he was there for the taking at that point obviously um and yeah canelo obviously you know went went back to work and with his accuracy he was able to finish plant um i think canelo probably landed five or six punches that um Plant didn't really have to take. I think the referee could have been a little bit quicker, maybe not even allowed it to carry on after that first knockdown. But we know Canelo is such a good finisher. Uh, I was gutted for Caleb not to hear the final bell after such a brave effort and such a good performance. Um, I'm obviously a very extremely proud Brit, but I felt his performance was better than some of the champions that we've seen box Canelo, like a Saunders, like a Callum Smith. He was better than those guys, you know? Um, so I, I take my hat off to Caleb Plant, but yeah, it, it was it was quite unbelievable, the performance from Canelo, especially the way he switched it up around the midway point, and I did think he would actually stop Caleb Plant at some point. I wasn't sure it would get as far as round 11, but when he had him hurt, he took him out, and I've never seen him hurt someone and not take him out. That's why I say he's such a good finisher, so damn accurate, and the the, the punches that he picks in those moments are just perfect, really. It was nice to see the pair embrace right after the fight, um, especially after quite a bitter build-up. What I could hear on the telly, um, I heard Canelo say, I'm sorry for everything, you're a great fighter. He said, you are a great fighter. He emphasized on that that word great, which I liked. That was very respectful from him. And he, he said that Caleb's got a beautiful family. Obviously, Caleb said something about, you know, he doesn't have a mum, his mum passed away. Canelo said he's sorry for everything. And he told him not to be sad. It was nice. Obviously, there's a tiny language barrier issue. But Canelo was being very, very respectful. He apologized straight away. He complimented Plant, called him a great fighter, said he had a great, uh, beautiful family. That was nice to see. The pair then embraced with a hug. I like to see that sportsmanship. Um, good to see that the beef is certainly squashed. But yeah, um, undisputed now, Canelo looks better than ever. And um, again, when I went on Twitter, the scorecards that people had were all over the place. Some people had it 5-2 to plant after round seven. Some other people had it 7-0 to zero for Canelo. So I'm not sure what's a good card and what's a bad one. But anyways, enough of my rambling. Eddie, what did you make of it, my friend? Honestly, I like your card. 
I think your card was the was as good as I think me because me and Ed, at the time basically we had just to reiterate just to reiterate Eddie I had um, I had it all square after round nine I gave Canelo round ten so I had him winning um, and then obviously in the I had him winning by a point then in that last round obviously he got the stoppage so at the point of the stoppage I had I did have Canelo up by one just to just to reiterate sorry to cut you off go on Eddie oh no no that's right so and that's basically what we had. That's exactly what we were saying. I mean, I didn't really score it, but looking at the rounds, and a lot of people, I'm pretty sure, didn't really want to give him round nine. But I think he just he, he did a hell yeah, that was a hell of a round he had in round nine. I thought, uh, but just in general, Taylor Platt was doing things, you know, that guys with a lot more experience than he would normally be do be doing. You understand what I'm saying? Like he was doing stuff like, and I couldn't em- emphasize this enough. Canelo's left hook is a really serious weapon. So is his right hand, really, to be honest. He's just a dominant figure all the way around. But in this particular fight, he really couldn't utilize his right hand as well as he normally would because of that, the way that uh, Caleb Plant was shoulder roll. And he was doing it really well. So he kind of put it in his pocket because he just didn't really see a way to use it. But then with his left hook, he was then forcing Canelo to have to defend after he would throw one of his signature big left hooks. Because every time, well, not every time, but the majority of times that I've seen, when Canelo would throw a hook and, and Caleb Plant was able to deal with it, he would immediately straight away come back with his right hand, counter right hand, bang. And it was like, damn, he's really like boxing out there. He's really doing, and his jab, and some of the punches he was throwing, like in combination, wasn't necessarily meant to hurt, but meant to put his hands on him to get him uncomfortable and to keep him from continuing to press extra hard. You understand what I'm saying? So he had a lot of very, very good, timely little maneuvers and different things that he's done defensively as well as some of the some of the punches he threw. I just thought it was an extremely, extremely good performance. It's, it's one of the best fights I've seen, one of, one of the best fighters I've seen, or at least in, in terms of dealing with Canelo, and, and, and especially in recent times, because Canelo's been really, he's been really dominant. You know, Billy Joe did some good things toward the end before he got caught with the shot. I thought he was, like, starting to give Canelo a little bit of trouble, make, you know, a little bit, gave him a little bit of problems with some of the uh, some of the things he was doing, some of the shots he was throwing, the jabs and all, and, you know, with range and everything. But I think Caleb Plant did even better than that. Like, obviously. I felt like that fight was still, he still had a good shot where he could have, if he would have got to the final decision, we would have been asking questions like, hey, you know, what's the score? You know what I mean? Like, do we, we would think that, yeah, Canelo, you know, pretty sure Canelo would have started to, you know, dominate a little bit toward the end. But um, all the way up until the 10th, until about the 11th round, 10th, 11th round, you really start to say, start to think, like, damn, could this kid actually win the fight? You know? And um, it was looking like he still, if he had, if he still had the juice for the last two rounds, man, he could have, but he got caught with the shot. No need to belabor that. It's, you know, that part happens, and, you know, Canelo is, is the man. And not to just get to you to talk about how great Caleb Plant did, but just how great of a fighter Canelo is. Canelo's an all-time great. Like, you got to really say it. Whether you like him or not, you got to say he's an all-time great. You know what I mean? He only lost to one guy. One guy, and that one guy being another all-time great. You know what I'm saying? So, it, it, a lot of people right now, you know, I'm, well, I don't want to say a lot of people I don't really know. But we'll, you know, throw a little shade. You know, you can't say you can't match him up with, you know, different old, older guys like, you know, like the Chavez's and those guys. 
and even Floyd, you know what I mean, even though Floyd beat him, and just say his resume is really, really solid. He's definitely, uh, 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 he's going definitely going to be going to the Hall. And I think he has, uh, even, and honestly, for him, it's like, where does he go from here? What's the next challenge? You know what I mean? It's like, everything else is like, either you're going into somebody, in a, into a situation with a fighter that you're basically, you're, 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 on, you're behind the eight ball going in because you're already supposed to dominate him, or supposed to beat him. You know what I mean? And, and, and I feel like going back to Triple G at this point, would it even be a good idea? You know, he's getting up in age. I mean, I don't know how he's going to perform. You know what I'm saying? It's like his legacy really can only be tarnished, I think, at this point, more so than, than benefit. Like, I, I, just, I just think he's done so much already, and he's been a lot of different places at different weight classes. He's gone up to fight at 75. Now, you know, he's dominating 68. He was basically dominating 60. So it's kind of hard to see where he's going to go from here. But I'm kind of excited to see what decision what decision he makes and whether he's going to, like, go after the Charlos, you know, Benavidez, or I even heard something with um, uh, uh, Eterbiet, which I don't know about that because that dude's just kind of like an animal. But anyway, um, great fight. I'm, I'm happy that I was able to see it witness that greatness on both ends and I think both guys and one thing I said before the fight I was like Caleb Plant the main focus because I just really didn't see him beating Canelo but the main focus for him I felt like in my mind anyway was for his stock to go up that's all I was really you know uh, like really really banking on is that his stock would go up you know he would do well and at least give himself an opportunity to be you know do something great after the fight too you know what I'm saying and I think that I think he accomplished that without a doubt. And uh, like I said, the sky's the limit for both. Yeah, well said, Eddie. Well said. But yeah, that brings the review part to a close. The final thing for me to do just before we wrap up part one is to welcome our special guest on this week's podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the undefeated WBO world number one ranked super middleweight. He is, of course, Mr. Zach Parker. Zach, welcome back on the show, my man. Yeah, thanks for having me, mate. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure having you on, Zach. So, we last spoke back in July. It was um, fight week for the fight against Kuzanov. Uh, I think we spoke about three or four days before that. It was an excellent win, obviously. But let's talk about what you did on Saturday night in Birmingham. A win over Marcus Morrison. You become the first man to stop him. Afterwards, you climbed up onto the corner post and said, Easy bleep work uh tell me about your performance you definitely made it look easy yeah i just wanted to like show everyone like levels and like there's obviously levels in this game and um i, I want to be boxing for the titles now and uh and uh with the like, performance like that you see him against uh he had really good fights with, like chris Eubank, and he's he's been boxed for the titles and uh obviously i had a, a lot better performance uh, against him and uh i think it's time i think it's time i get my chance and I always felt that you would knock uh, Morrison out. On paper, obviously, I think a lot of, let's say, casual fans probably thought, well, if Eubank Jr. couldn't knock Morrison out and no one else has managed to do it, Zach probably won't be able to do it either. And you'd have to respect that opinion. The guy had never been yeah. stopped. Did you ever feel before the fight that maybe, just maybe, this could go all 10? Or did you have no doubt you'd get him out of there? Yeah, obviously, he's a tough opponent. And uh, I, I obviously trained 
um, for the old for like ten to twelve rounds. But um, the way I've been like training in the gym and the way I've been sparring, like I'm hurting people with um, when it's where I've got big sparring gloves on and head guards and that. So when I, when I put the like the small gloves on and it's like no head guards, no protection. So yeah, I, I thought I'd probably get my head. I thought it might have been a bit later, but. Since he caught him with that body shot, um, and then I seen his, I seen his face like scroll for a bit, and I was like, oh yeah, I got, I got, get, I got to keep going down to the to the body and stuff. Yeah, and those body shots were were ruthless and brutal. Um, people get the measuring stick out, of course, and they compare this win over Morrison to Chris Eubanks' win over Morrison. Yours, obviously, being far more impressive. Um, is that a smart fight for you to take, Zach? I know you mentioned you'd like to wipe him out, but it's a fact that you'd have a lot to lose from your perspective being in that number one spot, surely knocking on Canelo's door now. Yeah, well, obviously I want a, a bigger name. Like, Canelo wants fights. Like absolute massive names and like the who bring like obviously I'm number one and I'm entry for the WBO, but he wants to be fighting like the top names who've been boxing like the top guys and that's what I want. I want to box these top guys and uh, obviously Chris Eubank's got a name for himself like for his dad and he's had a couple of good wins against like James Gale and that. But I I, I beat him every day of the week so um, in my opinion and. That's what I plan to show. Like, if we, if, obviously, if we ever did box, uh, I'd show, I'd prove, I'd prove that I'm, I'm meant to be up there with the best. And yeah, that's what we, that's what we're trying to push for. And hopefully, we'll get made one day. And do you feel, Zach, as as if you're the best super middleweight in the country, better than the likes of Ryder, Saunders, uh, Eubank Junior, even though he's pretty much gone back down to middleweight? Yeah, hundred percent. If you look at all the other super weights, they're all like obviously getting on a bit now, and uh, I think like the I think there's only like one above me in the, in the box track, and that's John Ryder, and he's pretty much a middleweight as well. If you if you if you like, or most is crazy in the middleweight, he's only come up for a bit. The super middleweight, I'm the most natural super middleweight and the biggest, and uh, yeah, I, I, obviously I ain't had the chance of uh, show against like really top guys, but I, that's what what. That's what I've been trying to push for. We, we should like uh, seeing the roast. What we've been asking before, Marcus Morrison. We asked loads of different top top guys here in like celeb um, celeb Shurax and David and Mir and that. And uh, none of them want none of them wanted uh, none of them wanted to know. But yeah, I think we're pretty much we're almost there to getting these massive fights and hopefully bring some big fights back to Derby. And I want to ask you as well, Zach. At what point in your career or what fight perhaps did you feel in your mind that you'd surpassed the level of those other guys domestically that I mentioned? Or maybe I shouldn't say level because they've boxed at the highest level. You're obviously yet to do that. But what point did you think to yourself, I, I'm better than Saunders, I'm better than Riders, you know, these type of guys? Well, I've just got to self and Obviously, Saunders is um, obviously an amazing boxer and did a lot at uh, middleweight. But you see, like Saunders and and Ryder, they're not natural super middleweights. They're not like, you know what I mean? They ain't like up there with the top boys. And um, that's why I just want I just want my chance to prove it. And obviously, I know what I do in the gym every single day, and everyone else knows what I do in the gym. And I'm just waiting for my my chance, obviously, prove it. And obviously, I box in um, Mark Morrison the other day, and I think that's one one step towards like 
like I'm I'm past these like British British level fighters and put me on there with the big boys now and I'll show you what I can do against them. The better like I said on the weekend, I said the better the opponent, the better I step up. So just we'll just have to wait and see what happens in the next fight. And you mentioned about what you're doing in the gym. I want to ask you this. Who have you sparred, Zach? Because, you know, being in the media, I hear a lot of top-secret sparring stories all the time. But I, I can honestly say I haven't really heard anything about your sparring. You're very, very low-key. Is there any big names yeah. you sparred with? Yeah, obviously, I, I, I keep my sparring, like, um, to... Oh, I don't really want to spar with all the top top people in my uh, in my division, just in case I face them one day, you know what I mean? Okay. But, um, yeah, I had, some, I had some good firing this, this time out. Um, the start of the camp, I was fine with, uh, obviously, Lennox, he's um, British super mid- midweight champion, and then uh, sparring uh, with the likes of um, Shikane uh, Pitters from Light Heavy, and then, uh, obviously, Nathan Heaney, he's, he's, he's quite a good little boxer himself. So, yeah, I, I, try, I don't try and box and um, spar uh, people um, in my own division, just in case we can meet one day, you know what I mean? So, um, obviously, before that, I've... Uh, there was like Tyron Zuga, um, uh, Scotland. I but I sparred all of them like when uh, up and running when I was boxing on the World Super Series, and I I think I think Scotland uh, not Scotland um, Tyron Zuga was a world champion time, and I was meant to go over do like three like eight rounds. I, I jumped in there for the first six on the first day, and then they said, "Oh, we don't want them more sparring off you." And so just shows you know what I mean. So. Lovely. Yeah, I, I try and keep, I try and keep my smile and low key. Then. Yeah, yeah, you do. And um, I will just tell you a real quick 10 second story i had roy jones jr on the podcast a few months ago and he told me of a time where he was sparring a guy in the gym and suddenly after two rounds he realized you know what i'm gonna end up boxing this guy for a title one day so he jumped yeah. out the ring and everyone said what are you doing like even even his own dad said what are you doing son and he said no 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 i'm gonna be boxing this guy for a title one day spars over they only did two rounds a couple years later they end up boxing for a world title roy jones jr knocks him out and he puts it down to jumping out the ring when they were sparring, you know? You don't, you don't want to be sparring people you're going to be boxing in the future. They don't, you can't be teaching them all your tricks and that. Exactly. Um, I always say they can, they can face my tricks at one time and then that's when we'll box them. Then, exactly. then they'll know that. Um, they don't want, don't want to be giving all my little tricks and tricks of the trade away just in a little sparring session what don't mean nothing. It's all, it's all about that one night and when everyone's watching when the when the lights are on when the big lights are on and the cameras are watching so yeah you got you got saved you got saved uh, for the for the big nights very 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 wise stuff there um, when do you want to be out fighting again Zach well I think I've been told it was um, to enjoy my Christmas and that love um, and then maybe maybe in March time I, and uh, I think they're on about trying to get me like a homecoming uh, billing. In Derby, um, there's a nice little venue run ne- next door to Pride Park. It's I think it's called the Bellage Dome, and also like three or four thousand there. So hopefully, March time in Derby. Lovely, that would be excellent. And just a fun fact yeah. for the listeners: 
Um, Zach has become the first man to stop Rohan Murdoch. In his very next fight, he becomes the first man to stop Vaughn Alexander. In his very next fight, he becomes the first man to stop Sherzod Kuzinov. And in the very next fight, becomes the first man to stop Marcus Morrison. Four guys that had never been knocked out, you've stopped them one after the other. <laughs> yeah, that's a good little, good little record, that is it? It's that. beautiful, my friend. And you I said like, you'd be... Yeah, you have been delivering. I mean, that that's an incredible run. Um, you said you'd be watching the Canelo fight in a in a in a casino somewhere. I'm not sure if you ended up in the casino. But did you get to see the fight? What did you make of it? No, uh, I didn't. I didn't get to see it on the night, but I've watched it back since. And yeah, I thought it was you know art fight. Um, obviously, Canelo, Canelo's Canelo, and he's obviously best pound for pound and. But um, I think Plant like gave him a bit too much room. Put like went back to the ropes a bit too quick. Um, obviously, it's a lot harder when you're in there with him. But um, you can't give him too much room. I don't think. And uh, I think that's what he did. He tried to he tried to run run too quick, and then uh, then it made it easy for Canelo. Hmm. I feel like Plant did pretty good though. Yeah, he did. He did good. He did good. It's good. Obviously, that's the way he boxes. Though. That's the thing. But. With the with if you look at the um, Canelo with the way he box the way glove can box him, you can't you can't give him that much room. Otherwise, you know when they when you get that's why he wants you back on them ropes, so he can't run anymore. You know what I mean? So, but yeah, that's the way obviously Canelo uh, plant boxes. He boxes quite well, but um, you can you can just see like when Canelo's in there, he's, he's got his he knows what he's doing already. Um, you know like. Uh, what, where to place him all the time, and whenever he wanted to fight, he was going to fight. And whenever he didn't want to fight, he could just move back. So, yeah, when he's a lot, lot of different ways of looking at it. Yeah, yeah, when he's applying the pressure and he's got you backing up, you're in trouble. He's in yeah. full control, it seems. Um, I think yeah. that's why they want to see him in with a light heavyweight who can push him back, perhaps. Um, just before we wrap it up, Zach, I want to say if you've got a closing message for the listeners, you can say whatever you like. And I also want to remind you to change your Twitter and Instagram bios. They still say 21 and 0, 15 KOs. <laughs> oh, yeah, and I, I ain't actually seen that, actually. <laughs> I've got to, I've got to change that. I'll change that first. But, yeah, just... Um, Make sure you all just keep watching my career. Obviously, um, got social medias. Um, Zach Parker boxer, Z A T H Parker boxer, and then yeah, just uh, I'm just trying to deliver deliver good good fights for the fans. So just, uh, watch out for me. Absolutely. Listen, Zach, it's always an honour speaking with you, my friend. Thank you for your time. Congrats you, again on another spectacular win, and I hope we can speak again in the near future. Yeah, thanks for having me on, mate. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the news part of the show. Going to start here with the undercard for Crawford versus Porter, uh, November 20th, if you didn't know the date. We get to see, um, I think the guy's name is um, Esquiva Falcao. He's a he was a good amateur and stuff like that. Um, I think he's being a little bit fast tracked as a pro, if I'm not mistaken. He gets in there with a guy called Patrice Volney. That's a title eliminator there at middleweight um, IBF uh, title eliminator there. Also on the card, we get to see Janibek Alim Kanuli. Um, can't remember who he boxed 
but I've, I've heard of the name. He boxed someone, I think, last time out or the time before that was a good fighter. But anyway, he gets in with former world champion and friend of the show, Hassan and Dam. Um, and also, I think we've got a fight between two undefeated lightweights. We've got um, Raymond Muratala against Stephen Ortiz. So again, that is the Crawford Porter undercard, November 20th. Some good fights there. Um, a big one that's been made in the UK, Hamza Shiraz, the undefeated 154 prospect who's now training out there in the 10 Goose Boxing Gym, in Joe Goosen's gym with... Um, Ricky Funes. Um, he gets in with former British champion Mr. Bradley Skeet, friend of the show. That one's going to be on the undercard of Lyndon Arthur and Anthony Yard at the Copper Box Arena, December the 4th. That's going to be a brilliant, brilliant fight. I hope Bradley wins that, man. Bradley's one of the nicest guys. He, he hasn't had it easy. Um, moving out now to the... This one takes place um, December the 3rd, which I believe is a Friday. It takes place in... Uh, in Bilbao, we have Kerman Leharaga, who, by the way, was in one of the best fights of this year. He gets in defending his European super welterweight title against Jack Flatley. That one, again, in in Bilbao. A few guys on the undercard. We've got um, Campbell Hatton as well fighting on that one. Um, in other news, we have... Um, it's been officially announced now. Devin Haney against Joseph Jojo Diaz. Um, that should be a, a, a great fight. Cannot wait for that one. That, again, is December 4th at the MGM. Uh, we've got Connor Ben. His fight has been announced now. He's taking on Chris Algeri. That's going to be taking place in Liverpool Saturday, December 11th on the zone. Um, yeah, that's that's a it's a steady step up. A lot of people are kind of analysing this same wider's. Connor Ben not fight any punches. I don't know. I'm starting to see a bit of a pattern there as well. But all the best to both guys there. Um, hopefully we'll have Chris Algeri on the show either next week or the week after. Um, in other news, Probellum, the company that is being spearheaded by Richard Schaefer, he's he's um, announced a, a a fight card. He's got um, Sonny Edwards defending his world flyweight title against Jason Mama. I think his name is uh, that one of course a defensive edwards ibf title there and on the undercard of that we see john real casimero defending his wbo bantamweight world title against the uk's very own and friend of the show former world champion paul butler all the best to paul butler there but that's a that's a tough ask he hasn't he hasn't really looked great recently paul butler um what else do we have? We've got Jay Harris. His fight's been announced. It's going to be on an MTK Global show. He gets in with Hector Gabriel Flores. Um, the date of that, by the way, just trying to remember, November 26th on the card as well. Ben Crocker, uh, Sean McGoldrick, the return of Akeem Ennis Brown after that controversial loss last time out to Sammy Maxwell. Um, and... In other news, this is a good one as well. It's for the undercard of Javante Davis against, um, is it Isaac Cruz? He's boxing. Um, yeah, on the undercard, we've got the return of Sergei Derevianchenko. Um, he gets in with Carlos Adamez. I really like that fight there at middleweight. I think Adamez has moved up to uh, middleweight. I'm sure he was at 154. And we've got um, Eduardo Ramirez getting in with Miguel Mariaga. And a, a brilliant fight as well. This is a big step up here, and I like this fight a lot. Sebastian Fandora, the welterweight contender who is about six foot five, he gets in there with Sergio Garcia, the undefeated Spaniard who really beat Ted Cheeseman up. And if you, you know, if you ever watched that fight, 
the UK listeners, if you've ever watched that fight where, where Ted Cheeseman fought Sergio Garcia, Sergio Gar- Garcia is a very skill, skillful guy. Reminds me a little bit of Sandor Martin, the way he's built his kind of record up. Hasn't really boxed anyone, but then he, he boxed Ted Cheeseman, and oh my God, so many skills. His footwork was brilliant. Judge's distance, he had all these tricks up his sleeve, just like Sandor Martin when he upset Mikey Garcia. This is a tough fight for Sebastian Fandora, but he has been one of my favorite prospects over the last couple of years. So if he can pull off the win, then, oh my God, it's big. Because, you know, people like um, David Benavidez are tipping uh, Fandora to be a future world champion. And I tell you what, he's been knocking guys out. Those tall, skinny guys don't always find the knockouts. He's been doing it. He's a very exciting fighter to watch. That's it, though, for the news part of the show. Rolling on now to the preview part. We're going to start here tomorrow night at the York Hall in Bethnal Green, London, the Mecca of UK boxing on BT Sport Live, we have David Adelaide seven and zero in an eight rounder against Dominic Muzil, who's six and three on the undercard. Um, we have George Fox, the son of Don Charles. He's four and zero as a pro in a six rounder. No opponent just yet for him. Uh, this one takes place at the Leeds United FC Banqueting Suite at Ellum Road um, over here. Jack Bateson, 14-0, fighting here for the vacant English super bantamweight title against Ramez Mahmood, who is 11-1. That's over 10 rounds there. On the undercard, Darren Tetley as well, um, a fighter who, again, has had a bit of a tough career, um, you know, I think hasn't really had the breaks he, he deserved. I remember him losing a fight. Uh, in fact, no, I'm getting him confused. I think, I think he's got a brother. I think I'm getting confused with him. But anyway, he's on a card here. Uh, 20 and 2, his record. Uh, Danny Murrell, he's a good a good friend of Dave Allen. He's 1 and 0. He's fighting again. Um, he's He's been a year out. You know, a year he's been out the ring a year since his pro debut. He's back here having his second fight. Ellis Hopkins as well on the undercard. Um, moving out now to Germany, we've got Mike Perez fighting here, the Cuban, 25 and 3 with a draw. He gets in with Jose Ulrich, who's 17 and 4. We've got Lemroy Thomas, 24 and 5 with a draw against Marcos Antonio Amalda, who's 21 and 10. Random card there. Moving out now to the Sky Dome in Coventry, West Midlands. This one's going to be on Saturday night on Channel 5. River Wilson Bent, 10 and 0, gets in with Tyler Denny, 13 and 2 with two draws that one there for the vacant English middleweight title. We've got the Irish uh, twins. Not, I'm not sure if they're twins, actually. The Irish brothers. Aaron McKenna, 12-0 in a 10-rounder against Edem Beaker, who's 10-1. That one there for the vacant WBC youth world middleweight title. We've got Stephen McKenna on the card as well, 9-0. We've got Casey Benjamin, 13-1 with a draw. Isaac Chamberlain, 13-1, no opponent just yet. Idris Virgo, 10-0 with a draw, no opponent just yet. Tommy Welch, the son of um, former heavyweight contender Scott Welch, he's 5-0 as a pro, no opponent just yet. Uh, Mick Hennessy Jr., 7-1 with a draw. I'm not sure if I mentioned him already. You've got Brett McGinty as well, 3-0. And Shakam Pitters, 16 and 1, former British light heavyweight champion. He gets in with um, Reese Cartwright, who is that the guy that I that I thought I was talking about before? No, see, I'm getting very confused. There's, I'm sure there's a few different Cartwrights. There's a Reese Cartwright. There's a um, 
Oh, a Darren Te- Okay, Darren. I'm getting very confused. Anyways, whatever. Shakam Pitter, 16 and one in a 10 rounder against Reese Cartwright there for the vacant WBC International Light Heavyweight title. All the best to both men, basically. Moving out now to Sheffield at the Sheffield Arena, Yorkshire, United Kingdom. This one's going to be on the zone. Kid Galahad tops the bill. He defends his IBF World Featherweight title against former champion Kiko Martinez, 42 and 10 with two draws. I'm not sure if he's coming off a loss. He's probably gone back to Spain and picked up an easy win or two. But I remember his very close fight with Zelfa Barrett. A lot of people saying he won that one. Can he give Kid Galahad any problems, though? I'm not so sure. 28 and 1, Kid Galahad. Coming off that brilliant performance against Jazza Dickens. On the undercard, defending his EBU European Cruiserweight title, Chris Billum Smith, 13 and 1, one of my favourite fighters to watch. He gets in with Dylan Bregione, who's 11 and 1 with a draw. We've got Terry Harper, 11 and 0 with a draw. Uh, defending her WBC and IBO World Super Featherweight female world titles against Alicia Baumgardner from from the United States, 10-1. and one. Uh, She's been screaming for a big fight for a long time. I think she said she's going to knock Terry Harper out. We shall see. That one's over 10 two-minute rounds. A big step up here for a guy called Dante Dixon, who's 5-0. and oh. He's in an eight-rounder against Jordan McCory, 19-7 and seven with a draw. I believe Jordan McCory lost to Archie Sharp, and I think he also lost to Sam Bowen. But, um, you know, he's been out of the ring, I think, for a while. But it's a big step up for a guy who's only 5-0 and oh in Dante Dixon. Could be interesting. Um, moving out now to the Footprint Center in Phoenix, Arizona, USA. We've got... On the undercard, Jose Benavidez Jr., 21 and 7. Sorry, no, 27 and 1, I should say. My apologies to the Benavidez family. That one loss, of course, came to Terence Crawford. He's in a 10-rounder against Francisco Emmanuel Torres, who's 17 and 3. David Benavidez, 24 and 0, in a 10-rounder. No title on the line, of course. He gets in with Kyron Davis, who was a bit of a last-minute replacement, of course, for um, Jose Uskategi. He gets in 16 and 2 with a draw. We mentioned that the draw came against Anthony Durrell a few fights ago, and he's never been stopped, Kyron Davis, so I'm sure David Benavidez will be looking to do that and stop him. Moving out now to the Honda Center. Again, this one's going to be on the zone, so there are fights on loads of channels. I just want to run back through that. Friday night, BT Sport. Um, Saturday night, Channel 5. Saturday night at the same time as Channel 5, we've got the zone for the Galahad card. Then... Um, Saturday night in the States, we've got Showtime. That's going to be the Benavidez card. And also clashing with that, Saturday night on DAZN, um, we have um, Jaime Munguia, 37-0 in a 12-rounder against the Philly, hard, the, one of the hardest men in Philly. Gabriel Rosado, you'd want him on your team in a street fight. 26-13 and 13 with a draw. Coming off that sensational win last time out when he was losing that fight, taking big shots to that guy who I think had knocked everyone out, had a 100% knockout uh, percentage, and he got knocked out by Rosado. It was an unbelievable upset earlier on this year. Mungia, I think, was on the same card. They're getting it on there. It's over uh, 12 rounds, like I say, for the WBO Intercontinental Middleweight title. All the best to Gabe. Gabriel Rosado, God, you just can't count him out. He keeps coming and coming and coming. He's like a bad smell. You can't get rid of him. And now, Wednesday, this is this is next Wednesday. By the time the show goes out next week, this fight would have already taken place. So here we are previewing it. Tim Zhu, the, the son of Costa Zhu, um, 
19-0 in a 12-rounder against Takeshi Inoue, who's 17-1 with a draw. I'm not sure if he's any relation to Naoya Inoue, but he is for the WBO Asia Pacific Super Welterweight title and the WBO Global Super Welterweight title. Um, always good to see Tim Su fight. I tell you what, out of all the boxers, you know, the famous ex-world champion boxers that have got sons, uh, you know, like... Um, you know, Campbell Hatton and Ricky Hatton, Connor Ben and Nigel Ben, Chris Eubanks Sr. and Jr., and all the rest of them. He's one of the, the most special ones. You know, he looks unbelievable, Tim Su. So I'm definitely going to be tuning in or finding a way to tune in um, next Wednesday, which will probably be around about kind of lunchtime or maybe even morning UK time. So it's going to be hard to watch if you're in the States. It's going to be at a really weird hour. But there's a lot to watch on the weekend in the States. So I'm expecting everyone that's listening to me now to have a very busy weekend keeping up with all the action. Uh, that is it, though, for the preview part of the show. In part one, we did the reviewing. We brought our special guest, Zach Parker, the number one ranked WBO super middleweight in the world, obviously in line to face Canelo. Uh, then, then in part two, we did the news. I've just wrapped up the preview. And the final thing for me to do is to come in with the outro, which I'll do in just a few seconds. Okay, and this wraps up episode 317 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. Eddie Chambers has been with me for the duration of the show. A huge thank you to our special guest, the undefeated number one ranked super middleweight in the world by the WBO, Mr. Zach Parker. The biggest thanks of all, though, goes out to you, the listeners. Thanks once again for tuning into this week's show. There has been one piece of news break whilst we've been recording the show. Chris Eubank Jr. and Liam Williams will be fighting on December 11th in Cardiff, that's going to be an absolute cracker. I cannot wait for that. So many great fights from now till Christmas. We are being spoiled as boxing fans. But that's about everything from myself. Enjoy your weekends, people. Stay safe, and we shall see you all again next week.